0: All right, we're in Genesis chapter 19 this morning, and as I was uh, going through this and writing out my sermon, I decided I wasn't going to do it in one lesson, but rather in two. So today we're going to uh, uh, just read the first 14 verses, Genesis 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet, then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so that they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason why they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, "'Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place.'" For, he will dis- for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Genesis 18 and 19 is one long narrative, so they're closely tied together, and they really compare the response of Abraham and Lot to God's messengers who are bringing to them the revelation of doom concerning the wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've already observed that uh, Lot made a tragic choice back in chapter 13 for what he perceived to be the good life instead of the God life. And uh, now we're going to see the tragic results of that choice, even though lot in the New Testament is called a righteous man. The Apostle Paul exhorts us in Colossians chapter three verses one through three, "If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And that reflects the truth that we have died to the good life and have been raised to the higher plane of the God life. The Apostle John further warns us in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust, uh, uh, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This passage in Genesis 19 plays out in a biblical narrative the truth of those New Testament admonitions. If it weren't possible for the redeemed to love the world, then why would John, by the Spirit, command us not to love the world? If it weren't possible to seek the things below, the things of earth, rather than set our affections on the things of heaven, then why are we exhorted to uh, do the latter? Abraham was in the world, but he was not of the world. Abraham sojourned in faith, looking forward to the city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Lot is called by Peter a righteous man, but we see here he was still a worldly one. His affection was set on things of earth, on things he held dear, but things he would lose because they will perish. So today we see in the life of Lot tragic consequences of worldly choices. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning, that as we look into this passage of scripture we would learn the lesson well that it is not your will for us to be worldly the things of this world uh, will only result in tragedy for us if we set our hearts upon them the things of this world cannot last and so we need to set our minds and our affections upon serving you and during uh, doing your will even as we sojourn in this world as abraham did so we pray you bless your word to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just kind of catch up here a little bit of the background. We find here in verse one, chapter 19, that the men that came to visit Abraham are actually angels in disguise. And here they're represented as two angels who come to Sodom in the evening. Now, three men appeared to Abraham, and we know that they were a manifestation of the Lord. Uh, and we may wonder what happened to the third man or the th- third angel, if you will. And some think, well, the third person is the Lord who is speaking. Sometimes he speaks, sometimes all the men speak. But perhaps it's best to think of a third messenger going to the city of Gomorrah, although it's not told here, uh, the Lord did come to see the wickedness if it was the outcry was true about Sodom and Gomorrah. So perhaps that person went to Gomorrah uh, to see for the Lord what was going on. But now we come to these two angels who still uh, are appearing as men, uh, and they come to the city of Sodom and they find Lot sitting there in the gate, the entranceway to the city. So first of all, we want to uh, understand that these worldly choices lead to spiritual dullness. Now, the negative progression of Lot is apparent if you put together all the stories where he is uh, involved. We go back to chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, to find Lot's initial choice. And you remember there that the wealth of Abraham and the wealth of Lot had grown so abundant that they really had to to part ways because their servants were arguing with each other about water holes and feeding places, things of that nature. And Abraham magnanimously gives his nephew the choice of where to abide. Now Lot, we're told, lifts up his eyes, not to God for wisdom, not to Abraham to say, no, uncle, you choose first, or you choose for me. I'll go where you want me to go. But he lifted up his eyes to the well-watered plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities uh, uh, of, of the plain. And his choice was based on the things of the world, the things he saw with his eyes, the earth, and what he perceived would be the good life, the best life for him, materially speaking. So he moves eastward, and remember, in the book of Genesis, moving eastward is a direction away from God, uh, away from the promised land, away from the promises associated with Abraham and the blessings that are there. But we note in that chapter a red flag in verse 13, which reads, but the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Not just normally sinful, they were exceedingly sinful, and they were against the Lord. And this should have been known to Lot, or at least it should have been apparent to him as soon as he moved there. But he still pitches his tent toward Sodom, toward that city, not yet in the city. Then we find in chapter 14, Lot's capture and rescue. You'll remember that uh Lot finds himself in a predicament, and he would not have been in that predicament had he chosen to stay in the promised land and move either north or south, but not east, out of the promised land. And verse 12 says that he dwelt in Sodom. So now he's going down the pathway that the world pulls you toward and that's a pathway, again, away from the Lord into the place where there's evil, where there's wickedness. So he was abiding there, which suggests to us that he was either in the city or its suburbs. So now at this point, his life, his family, uh, himself, his goods, they are taken captive by the eastern coalition of kings who attacked the cities of the plain because they had rebelled against Keterleomer. And Abraham... Uh, here's about it. He instigates a counterattack that delivers Lot and his uh, uh, possessions and returns him back to Sodom. And uh, Lot would have paid a huge price for his worldly choice if Abraham had not rescued him. And now we come to chapter 19. Nothing's mentioned between 14 and 19, where he we find him now located in the city sitting in the city gate. Now this is nearly 25 years after his initial worldly choice. At first, his tent is pitched toward uh, Sodom. Then it appears he moves into the city. And now we find he has a house and he's one of the men who sits as a judge in the city gate. These were men of position, of influence, they judged in legal matters in the city. They discussed the affairs of the city. And it was a prominent position, symbolic of human authority and power. Lot was now a permanent and prominent cit- cit- <coughs> excuse me, citizen in the world that he chose. He was well entrenched in what he thought was the good life, but it was the worldly life, not so much the godly life. Now Christians can make similar choices today, choices that move us closer to the world, farther from God and his blessings. For instance, if our our profession, our means of income were to call us to move our family where there's no solid church, would that be a good move? If we put our children in an educational atmosphere that is worldly, that is anti-Christian, that is teaching them things that go against the word of God and and a godly lifestyle, is that a godly choice? If my line of work, my hobbies, my interests, uh, my business keep me from going to the place of worship and serving to my fullest capacity, is that God's choice or is that my choice? So, worldly choices take us down a path to more worldly choices. They diminish our relationship to the Lord. They cause us to move in the direction of spiritual dullness, complacency, and apathy. And that's the progression we see in the life of Lot. But we see something else here that kind of displays his spiritual dullness, and that is his failure to detect anything. Uh, unearthly about these men who came to visit him. And here we see again a comparison between the way Abraham received the visitors and the way that Lot received the visitors. You'll remember that when Abraham saw them and they kind of like suddenly appear, he gets up and he runs to meet them. Lot, however, when he sees them, he rises but he waits for them to come to him. Then we find that both men do bow themselves toward the ground out of respect for these strangers, these visitors, but Abraham addressed them in the singular Adonai, Lord, which is used in the Old Testament uh, as a name of God. So that shows at least his suspicion that they may not have been merely men, they may have been Uh, messengers from God, because he was spiritually perceptive. Now, Lot greets them in the plural form, as you would normally expect, as lords or sirs, and there's no indication in him in the text at all that he has any idea they are anything but human sojourners. And one wonders, as you read through these stories where Lot's involved, if he's thinking much about the Lord at all. Now, to his credit, he does show them the respect of hospitality, as Abraham did, and that's an indication of Lot's righteousness. Remember, Peter says that Lot was a righteous man. So that would appear to, to mean to me that he, he believed in Jehovah. He was what uh, time close to Abraham and receiving blessings associated with Abraham. But, you know, we read this passage, and we wonder, well, how could he call him a righteous man? Well, this is an indication of righteousness because in the Near East, at that time, hospitality to strangers was a strong and expected social custom. And later, as we come to the law and the Lord gives the law to Moses, we find that this has commanded the Israelites in the law to be kind, And uh, treat with respect aliens and sojourners. So this is, uh, indicative of righteousness on Lot's part. Now, as the, as he, uh, invites them to stay in his home, the angels first reject the invitation. They say, we're going to stay in the, uh, the open square. But he urges them not to do that. This is a very strong, uh, term. This is a subtle hint that Lot may know what could go on if they stay in the open square. So he wants them to stay with him in his home, probably thinking that they will be protected there. Finally, they agree, and as they agree, he sets out a uh, feast for them. Uh, Verse 3, then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now here again, he's showing hospitality, but it's not quite developed the same way as we see Abraham expressing his hospitality. After all, um, I would hardly call baked unleavened bread a feast, but that's the word that's translated here. So there were other things involved in that, but when you uh, compare this to what Abraham did and uh, how uh, quickly he expedited things to serve those men, and the lavish meal he, he prepared for them, nothing of that nature here is what Lot did for these men. So it doesn't compare to Abraham. Uh, his extended hospitality falls far short of that of Abraham. So in Lot, who is worldly-minded, There is this diminished sense of hospitality. There's no recognition of the possibility that these men uh, are representing God or they're of of a higher nature. He's spiritually insensitive, he's dull, and he's entertaining angels unaware. Now, as the story moves forward, we see that worldly choices promote hypocritical actions, And this is really the whole section before us this morning, verses 4 through 14. Now, the first thing we find here, as the meal ends and they're probably preparing for an early night's rest, we see the crisis that reveals the wickedness of Sodom and the hypocrisy of Lot, who is living there. So strange things begin to develop, verse 4 as they're preparing to um, rest for the night, the men of the city start gathering at, at uh, Lot's house. And it says here, both old and young, and all the people from every corner. So it seems like the whole city's coming to Lot's place, the whole city of men anyways. And uh, this is kind of sinister, And we find out very quickly that they're up to no good. They demand to know where these men are, these strangers, and they make no bones about their intentions as they say to Lot, bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Now we understand what that means. The verb to know in the Bible Uh, refers to intimate knowledge often used of sexual relationships. And for men to want to know other men in this way, in the sight of God and in the Bible, is abomination no matter what our society tries to say about it. And their sin is pervasive because all the men of the city have gathered for this extremely wicked purpose. So folks, things in history sometimes are worse than things in the present. all this kind of stuff that's going on today is becoming more and more pervasive. It's being accepted. Although everybody is not actually involved in it, we're allowing it. Uh, It's okay, it's fine, but it's not gonna have a good ending, even as here. Now, unlike um, Lot, these men are disregarding that high duty, that high custom of showing respect and kindness to the, uh, uh, the, the stranger. But worse than that, they are defying the natural order that God has put in place concerning marriage and sexual conduct. And furthermore, it's clear their intentions are violent and forceful. The prophet Jeremiah lists other iniquities that took place in these cities, such as pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, failure to help the poor and the needy, haughtiness, and then they mention committing abomination. That's what we see going on here. So this is abundant evidence of the just judgment of God that's going to fall shortly upon this city and the other cities of the plain. And then we see the response of Lot. And Lot's hypocrisy is revealed in this failed attempt to rescue his guests. We're told in verse 6, So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him. And as you read through this passage, you you should note the back and forth of being in the house and then out of the house. Inside the house is safety because of the angelic messengers, but Lot, of course, doesn't realize this yet. Outside is danger because of the lusting mob, yet he believes he can dissuade them from their evil intent. Now, as Lot goes out there and he pleads with them, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. We have another hint at his righteousness. At least he understands that this is wicked behavior. It's wrong, and he implores them not to commit it. So that's a righteous understanding of uh, that uh, that situation there. And we, we kind of wonder why he even addresses them as brothers, but he's trying to identify with the world in which he lives. And perhaps this is why Peter references Lot in this way. He was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So why would you torment yourself like that every day? Why would you put yourself in the place where you're vexed with what's going on? It can only be that you love the world and the things of the world, and you'll tolerate much evil because that love outweighs your love for the Lord and his righteousness. Now, folks, uh, we live in an age where lots of stuff is happening out there that we are vexed by but we are able to, to separate ourselves from it. We don't get involved in it. We're angry with it. We're upset with it. We know from the word of God that it's wrong. We'll tell people that it's wrong. We'll try to explain to them the gospel. So although we're aware of these things and they vex our souls, we're not in the midst of it and we're, we're trying to stay away from it. But Lot was right there and he wouldn't move out. Like Abraham. Abraham is is off in Hebron. He's away from all this stuff. He probably knows what's going on, but he's not paying any attention to it. He's separated. Now, Lot then reveals his compromised worldly position, and he displays hypocrisy by what he offers in place of the two visitors. How is it any better to say to these men, look, I've got two virgin daughters. You can do with them whatever you like, but please don't hurt these men. It's hypocrisy. He's trading off the, the custom of the day, good custom, for the morality of his own daughters. And when he says here uh, uh, in, in verse 8, That they've come under the shadow of my roof means they've come and now they're under my roof and I have a duty to protect them. But what about your daughters? Don't you have a duty to protect them? And you can see what a uh, horrible position he's put himself in because he's in that city to begin with. He's compromising uh, one area for another and really uh, they're the same thing. They're they're immoral choices that he's got to make between these, these two ways. So what should Lot have done? Well, instead of trying to resolve the problem by an immoral compromise and uh, worldly thinking, perhaps this would have been a good time to call upon the Lord. If you believe in the Lord and you're in a real jam, this is a time to, to seek him out. He should have been praying right then for deliverance, for a way out, God help me, I don't know what to do. Perhaps he should have been confessing his sin for being there in the first place. But unknown to him, a prayer like that uh, uh, was able to be answered because people who could help him out were sitting right there at his table, and he's unaware of it. These, these men were angels. They could have destroyed the whole city. They could have delivered. Eventually they do. But he does not call upon the Lord in this situation. And when the righteous are worldly, they have no more resources to help them out of a jam than somebody who's not even saved. And others are going to see this hypocrisy. Now the mob, inflamed by their lust, defy Lot and his attempt to divert their wickedness in verse 9. They say, stand back. That's very strong language. It's kind of like, get out of our way. And then they said, this guy came, in. uh, he came to stay here. In other words, he's an alien. He's a sojourner. He's a stranger. He's not really one of us. And he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So Lot, in one situation where he Uh, Assesses things righteously as far as their wickedness is being rejected and looked at as a judge. And I think perhaps they could see the hypocrisy that they won't, he won't allow one act of sexuality, but he will allow another one. And so there's hypocrisy there that they see and that they judge, and now they threaten to do worse to this stranger among us who puts himself up as a judge than what we'll do to the the two original uh, sojourners. So they press hard upon him, and they're coming to the point where they're about ready to break down the door and just take this whole thing into their hands. And all this, of course, then forces the hand of the men who we know are angels. And it says in verse 10, they reached out their hands, they pulled Lot into the house, the place of safety, because they are there. They shut the door, and then they miraculously strike these men with blindness, so they're groping around, they can't find the doorway. And I would imagine the crowd eventually dissipates. So the Lord delivers Lot, Out of this situation, he doesn't really deserve it. Of course, the mercy and grace of God are going to be seen a little bit later here. Uh, And even though Lot's worldly, he's thinking in worldly ways, he's showing his hypocrisy, the Lord still is merciful and delivers him out of that dilemma. And this leads to another observation in verses 12 through 14. And that is this. We've already seen this but now it's emphasized more that worldly choices diminish testimony to the lost. Obviously, he didn't have much of a testimony to the crowd. We don't know if he's ever really told them anything they're doing is wrong, except this one occasion. So he's been a hypocrite in that sense. But now, as the angels are revealed in truth who they are, and he sees the seriousness of the situation, he has an opportunity now uh, to save some of his family. And verses 12 and 3, we have the angelic announcement of doom. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. So they're warning him, you need to to go out into the city and any other relatives that you might have, you need to give them a warning and tell them to get out, and then they tell him why. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So, uh, their purpose is stated here. And it seems to me by now, Lot has realized the fact that these are not merely men, but they are powerful divine visitors. And they divulge the purpose of their visit to him, which is God's judgment upon the wickedness of the city. And the Lord sent them to see if the outcry of evil was worthy of just judgment. The truth has become evident to the reader, to us, and the verdict has been delivered. The the cities of the plain are going to be destroyed. Abraham has previously pleaded with the Lord for the deliverance of Sodom if only 10 righteous souls could be found but that condition has not yet been met. And we don't know how large the city was, but as I said last time, if it's only 5,000, 10 out of 5,000, what about the mercy and grace of God is apparent there? So Lot then attempts to go out and warn his family. Verse 14, Lot went out, and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Now, this may indicate that Lot had two other daughters who were married, but most expositors uh, believe this alludes to the men who were engaged or betrothed to the daughters who were still at home. And they had not yet gone through the wedding ceremony, and the engagement period, the betrothal period, was just as strong a bond as marriage, so they could be legitimately called sons-in-law, the ones who were going to marry his daughters. However, when he exhorts them either way to get up, to get out, they think he's joking, but, his son's-in-law, uh, uh, but to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. And this word joking is actually related to the term laughter, and we've seen that both Abraham and Sarah responded to the promised seed with laughter Sarah laughed at a word from God because she thought it was humanly impossible to to, uh, complete it. She was mildly rebuked, and we believe at that point she came to believe in that promise. But in this situation, the idea is that he's joking, and the joking is, is something that makes you laugh. So they're laughing at the word of God that's coming from Lot, but no Uh, You know, why would you expect Lot all of a sudden to be preaching something to you that's true when he's been living a lie? And it's doubtful that he really had any kind of a spiritual impact, as we'll see later on, from uh, his relationship to these people and to, to his family. Um, because Lot was a hypocrite, because his righteousness was not really apparent, because there's no indication that he was a witness to the Lord, he had no impact in this final testimony to his sons-in-law, and they will pay with their life. And again, even if these men were married to two other daughters, that would make the total of righteous people in the city come to eight. And in the end, we're going to find out that it appears that Lot is really the only righteous person left in that city. So how sad to be so caught up in the world that we have no thought or time even to reach our loved ones for Christ. To have no concern for the loss when we know of their imminent doom. And, of course, we know a whole lot more than a than, uh, lot did. We know what's going to happen to a person if they die without Christ. Their doom is imminent, just as imminent as was the doom of Sodom and Gomorrah on that day. And, of course, <clears throat> witnessing begins in the home. That's why we should bring our family uh, to church to be involved. And that's why we live for Christ before our children at home, so that they will... They will come to him. That's why we have devotions with them and put them under the preaching of the gospel as much as we can. If we love the world, we're much less prone to be witnesses for Christ because that makes us a target for ridicule and for persecution. And perhaps that's why Lot had such a low profile in Sodom. He didn't want to appear to be as righteous as he really uh, was or should have been, and this all comes out in the, in the story. And even though his soul was vexed by the things he witnessed and the things he heard, he didn't do anything about it. He did not love the Lord enough to get his family out of Sodom, and so Sodom was in his family, and we'll see that as well. Lot ends up losing everything because of those worldly choices. And every day, we're going to be faced with choices. The choice between the good life or the God life. The choice between things above or things of the earth. The things of the world or the things of God. Everything in life is passing away So why waste our time living for that? Jesus prayed for his disciples who were in the world, but he made it clear in that prayer they were not of the world. And we don't have to be of the world either. Worldly choices make us spiritually dull, and they grow in that dullness. An understanding of what is of real importance Worldly choices make the righteous hypocritical and diminish their testimony in the world. So by God's grace, let's endeavor not to be like Lot, but to be like Abraham and to be like the Lord as we ought. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would help us as your people to continue to walk through life as sojourners like Abraham to be in the world, but not to be of it, to be a testimony of what is right and what is true and what is uh, uh, God-like. And Lord, we realize that even in our country today, where so much preaching goes on, there is an increased antagonism towards spiritual truth. So Lord, help us to stand up and be separate Uh, not to infiltrate in the wrong way, uh, but to stand from outside, trusting in your mercy, your grace, your spirit, uh, to be the kind of people who will not be hypocrites, who will not be spiritually dull, who will have an impact that is a good testimony to the world in which we live. Help us by your grace to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.